welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect Pacific Northwest authors with new listeners and provide advice for inspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. Thanks so much for coming back to the podcast. This week, I am thrilled to have um, this author on um, because he is one that we haven't had on yet, and his name is Alex, and I'm going to say it wrong, Vagu, Vago. <laughs> Alex, what is it? Tell me. Vigu. Vigu. Thank you. Alex Vigu. So, Alex, say hi to everyone. Hello, everybody. So, Alex is a poet, but he might have more to share with us besides that. But, um, Alex, you're my first poet on, so I'm thrilled to have you. Um, And, Alex, tell us first, let's get started with what state you live in in the Pacific Northwest. And it's a double-loaded question. I know you have a day job because I searched out and listened to your podcast. But tell our listeners what your day job might be. So, I live in Washington State. Uh, and my day job, I actually just started a new job. I'm a teller at a credit union. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. We love tellers. My daughter was doing a teller work for a while (laughs) and then she's like, Oh, I don't like this. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy. Like the first two weeks I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do. Oh no. She did the same thing. She really struggled and she's really a quick learner and she ended up going back into what her passion is. So she's happy now, but boy, there were some moments there. I would never want to handle people's money. (laughs) It it, it gets kind of intense. Luckily, most people are like so happy that you're saving it for them. Exactly. Yeah. Just give it to someone else. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, so let's, I'm going to ask you the stumper question, Alex, right out of the bat. So if you haven't listened to my podcast, you didn't know that there was a stumper question I asked right away. And um, so that question is, what would you like readers to know right up front about you or about your work? That's, you say it's a stumper question. It's like the simplest question, but I think that's why it is the stumper question. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I think they need to be prepared that it's not going to be only cutesy and funny. Mm -hmm. I love writing cutesy and funny stuff, but I also tackle a lot of stuff, especially pertaining to the queer community. Mm-hmm. Especially, there's a lot of sex poetry, which I'm not going to read today because I know... Oh, thank you, because iTunes, I didn't set for <laughs> adult content. <laughs> um, <laughs> you probably kick me out. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really like to, especially lately, delve really deep into some of the stuff that's a little harder to share in just like a, a, a conversation like a, with a passerby or with a new acquaintance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, like with my first collection, it it I just jump right in because it's almost easier for me to just show it to you in the poem rather than to to have like a full conversation about it. Oh, I love it. And I think that's where writing and literature is so strong is that um, it's almost easier for all of us authors to tackle anything that is challenging yeah. mm-hmm. than writing. Uh, it's, it's astonishing. So, so um let me ask you this other question. So when did you know that you were an author? Was there an aha moment you could share? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> or maybe there was more than one. I think there's one. So especially, and we'll, we'll probably talk more about this when we talk about like publishing, but um, when I got my very first poem published and accepted mm-hmm. to be published, I was, it was like 10.30 at night and I got an email and I was like, 
overcome with excitement and emotion and it, and it, and they, and this isn't an exaggeration. It's the high that you chase from there mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Like the first mm-hmm. one is yeah. so powerful. Yeah. And, and that was when I knew I was like, my name's going to be typed in a book forever. Yep. You started a legacy. It's out there. It can never be taken away, which is yeah, very exactly. cool. Okay, so let's jump in and tell us, the listeners and me, um, first, what you have had published, because poetry is a little different because it's not always just a book, you know, so tell us a little bit about your publications, where they've been published, what's been published, so people can go find you. (laughs) Yeah, so it's kind of like a scattershot when it comes to poetry. You have to really dig a lot of the time to find somewhere that that you think would be a good place for your work, but also that they like your work too. Uh (laughs) So I've been published really lots of small online journals, um, Mm -hmm. some in print, mostly online. I like online too, because you can, it's like the immediate gratification. Yeah. Yeah. You you can share it on social media. You don't have to be like, I got this published and it's in a book and you'll never see it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think online is still amazing publishing, you know? Yeah. There's some incredible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can link it to everything very quickly on your website or Facebook or Twitter. So it's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So lots of little journals. Um, One of the ones that I, I really got excited about was one called Vinyl and their mm-hmm. poetry and prose. And they're associated with the, um, the poetry publisher, um, Yes, Yes Books, mm-hmm. um, based in Portland. And they were uh, like one of those ones where I was like, oh my gosh, they, they published one of my poems. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, mm-hmm. Other than that, there's not a lot of, definitely not any like huge names or anything. Um, but I will just give some shout outs to some friends that I've made through. Sure. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, one of the journals that I've really been loving, uh, it's run by uh, one person and it's called Oculum. Mm-hmm. And it just has this great, it's so stylish and so uh, selective. And you just know exactly what you're going to read when you open up uh, Oculum because it's always sort of slightly occult, but also pretty emotional and, uh, yeah, it, it, stuff like that. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's promise the listeners that um, we'll get the link for them. They have a link that we can do in show notes so they can find. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, let's make sure they have that because it sounds great. I, I'll definitely want to look at it. But I like <laughs> to make sure in my show notes, anything that's mentioned that, that our listeners can find, they can go right to it. So. Well, thank you because I know that's not easy. <laughs> no. Yeah, thank you because now you guys don't know, you might not know this, but Alex also has a podcast too. So, you, you know, he understands that aspect of <laughs> behind the scenes so yeah but I feel like this podcast is a huge resource for people like me or um, that are starting out or interested in publication and they're learning kind of what to do and where to go to be um, finding those answers but also being inspired by people that are out there doing it all the time right (laughs) yeah I mean I I went to to um, my undergrad at for poetry Mm -hmm. uh, and creative writing so and they didn't necessarily teach me all of this. So a lot of this stuff I've had to learn since graduating. Yeah. So any, any resource that I can give to somebody, I'm happy to share. Yeah. And there's so much to it, isn't there? There's just, um, just, I talk a lot about this with other authors, but just for me, the biggest learning curve was, um, when I decided to put myself out there and I started with the podcast as I'm working on my books and in progress, the whole social media thing, I was a social media person to begin with, but then to do it in a form for 
um, promotion for something was a whole new world for me. And I kind of had a panic attack with Twitter at first. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh my God. Yeah, I just... how do you get Twitter followers? <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, it's grown from there. So, so tell us, um, Alex, about your, your book of collection and, um, and I'm specifically, I want to know the title so everybody can know what the title is, but also let's talk about the publication of that. Cause I, is that an independent publishing house or company that you were, went with? Yeah. So the book is called the myth of man. Um, and it's published by a press called floating bridge press, which is, uh, currently a Washington state press. They publish, mm-hmm. um, one to three, uh, chapbooks of poetry a year. And wow. Is they, they do, um, a contest. So they'll, put out a call for submissions they'll be like hey send us your um your poetry chapbook manuscript they'll uh-huh. charge a fee and that's pretty common for for contests but the thing i like about floating bridge is with that fee you get a copy of the winners oh cool yeah which is not common mm-hmm. yeah no no <laughs> the first year that i submitted um i didn't get <laughs> picked um, <laughs> which is like that's just how it works most mm-hmm. of the time mm-hmm. uh but I got copies of the winners that year and that was really exciting. And then I tried again the next year, but what I did, I took one of the the manuscripts that I had sent before, but in that year I completely overhauled it, not necessarily overhauling it for them, but Mm -hmm. knowing it didn't get picked. There's a reason it didn't get picked. Let me take a second look. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, and I love it. So listeners, when you go to Alex's website, you'll see it. Um, he has it listed there. I absolutely love, I haven't dug into the poetry yet to read it, but I love your cover design. Uh, <laughs> it's just awesome. So did you get to pick that? Did you get to work with them on that or how did that go? So I was, that was probably the thing I was the most nervous for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm obsessed with art and I'm mm-hmm. not a great artist myself, but I really love like art history Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I had a, I had my own vision in mind. I had a, my own piece of art from an artist that I liked that I had picked out. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm really worried about my cover. So I sent my editor my idea. He's like, okay, um, we'll talk to our artist and we'll, we'll, we'll see if he, if he wants suggestions. And so they gave him my suggestion. He gave me three mock-up covers and okay. pick which one I wanted. Okay. Which well- is, not not usual, but it was very kind of them. It's so cool because I also saw you on Twitter holding up next to you, and yep. it looks similar to you. So <laughs> I was like, "This is really clever." I loved it. So, <laughs> listeners, you got to go find it. It's it's really good. <laughs> so, bravo on the cover design. <laughs> That's something that I talk a lot with self-publishing or independent publishing authors. You know, if you don't have a background in design or you don't have somebody to help you, that could be a huge challenge because it has to look beautiful has to look great to capture attention right <laughs> it has to look great it has to look like a book mm-hmm. the other two covers that the their artist had had made up for me they were so creative and so strange which i loved but they didn't look like books mm-hmm. they looked like comic panels mm-hmm. um and so they weren't just they just weren't right for a book but i still loved them so i, I had to make that tough choice of like which one of these looks like a book when it's sitting on a shelf 
Well, you're so smart. They might not have taught you in your undergrad about that, but you're smart enough to know, right? Because <laughs> well, I am notorious for judging a book by its cover. Oh, I am too. And I'll I'll tell my romance authors all the time that I read very little romance. So anybody that's listening to podcasts, they know that romance novels aren't really my big thing. I'm I'm historical fiction, and I don't mind if there's a little bit of romance in there. But I'm all about the facts and the mm-hmm. the play around drama about the people's lives. But um, I romance um, covers are amazing, but they irritate me because if I'm reading a romance novel and the person on the cover doesn't match what the description is, oh, no. I will be done. It'll be like over. Forget it. Sorry. You should have figured that out. Because, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny, but I read very little romance novel. Now, sorry, romance novelers that come on my podcast. I will read yours, but not everybody's. <laughs> So let's talk about marketing tips. What kind of tips, what kind of strategies have you used? Um, You're from what I call the total social media generation. Sorry, I'm calling you out because I'm just assuming, right? (laughs) But I think you're kind of in the age group my kids are. You have the social media thing down. So people like me, give us some tips what what you think is important um, to market yourself as an author. Well, first of all, I think it's good to know that it's not like, all super easy and doesn't come naturally necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, It takes a lot of work. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) um, I'm sort of, at least when it comes to Twitter, um, I I use it in a lot of ways to actually find places to submit as well as interacting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because Twitter, you know, say what you want about algorithms, but it'll, it'll find you a suggestion that might be perfect for you. That's what I was shocked with with Twitter. So I went on Twitter years and years ago when it kind of first got started. I was forced to do it for a class project I was working with and teaching. And and they're like, let's get on Twitter and show our students how to use Twitter. And I'm like, no, I don't use Twitter. (laughs) So I had an account, never used it. I had one friend, my mom, and um, that was it. And so when I started to do this authoring launch kind of thing and podcast, all of a sudden, all this great stuff was coming in that was author-based. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked at the community on the on Twitter. Just shocked. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> yeah, I think Twitter's one of those places where, like, if you use it to your advantage, it can be really helpful and positive and great. But one click the wrong way, and it's just so oh, dark and depressing. So true. But isn't all of it that way? Facebook yeah. and Instagram. Instagram isn't as terrible, but Facebook has gotten to the place where I'm just like, oh, do I have to go on Facebook today? <laughs> Oh, here you go. So great. So your your first thing was that it doesn't come natural and it's a challenge. Okay. Sorry, I side noted us a little. <laughs> totally fine. Um and I don't know if I have really any tips. I mean, I know you have to make something, and I don't really think of it this way, but now that I'm sort of dissecting it in my head, <laughs> you have to make something sort of clickable. Um mm-hmm. especially now that we have the the more characters when we have a text tweet, we have double that we used to have. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't always use all of them because Mm -hmm. if somebody's scrolling through and they just see a big block of text, they might not, you know, even take the second to read it. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to images, that's another great thing about my book cover is you stick it in front of your face and it looks like you have a mustache. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's sort of a marketability thing. You have to use your creativity in order to frame what you're trying to promote. Um, I used to be an editor for a, uh, a literature, a lit mag. And, 
uh, I used to, I started off being their, their Twitter person. Oh, fun. <laughs> and so what I would do was I have this old fashioned typewriter and I would type up little tweets on the typewriter, mm-hmm. I would take a picture of it and then tweet the picture. See, I found that as very smart because then you get around the whole um, amount of text you can write on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and then I started taking pictures of those little typed notes like next to some pretty flowers in my garden or something. Oh, I love it. Jesus. Can you be my Twitter person? <laughs> <laughs> can I hire you? <laughs> it's, it, like I said, it's tough. I didn't last very long at that, at that task. They, they luckily promoted me to editor, so I didn't have to do very well. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's talk about that because that's interesting. I, I'm in a rabbit trail again because writing, being an author, and then also being an editor too, is what I would consider very eye-opening for your personal writing. So, talk us through that process when when you're editing other people's work or when you're even writing for yourself. Do you come into some places where you're you're listening to your editing side too much? Not, not, not lately. Um, I, I haven't been an editor for probably three years, two, three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I do miss it, but it's, it's a lot of work, especially oh, yeah. when I have a full-time job. When I was working as an editor, I had a part-time job and it was very manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I noticed anything back then. I feel like my poetry wasn't on the level that it is now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of frustrating actually being an editor because you don't always get to read something really exciting. Sometimes you have to read 30 things that are just like, okay, (laughs) okay. That was, that was a story and it was uh, a story. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But then when something great comes along, it should pop out, right? Then it's really invigorating because you can, you can be like, oh, Hey, other editors on my team, pay attention to this one. It's got something special. And then it's really fun to like, see their reaction and then you can be like oh we're both so excited about it I wasn't wrong (laughs) oh well I'm glad you shared that with us because those of us that you know submit things to editors and stuff I think it's hard for us to put ourselves in other people's shoes because you know we're submitting our work or our baby and to us it's fantastic and it's beautiful and you know we created it but when you if we're not thinking about somebody else in their shoes reading, you know, day in and day out things that not be that way. That's fascinating to think about. Another thing we don't really think about is maybe our submission reached their eyes when they have 99% of the slots filled. Mm -hmm. Already have a complete picture of what that, that issue is going to look like, or that anthology is going to look like. And your stuff might be amazing, but it just doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You still get that rejection and you feel cruddy. Mm -hmm. But mm-hmm. maybe it was just like they, you know, sometimes they'll, you'll get a form rejection. It's like, it just wasn't the right fit. Sometimes that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And it might not be the right fit in the sense of anything but timing. You know, it could be the right fit for the next one. You never know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of times, if that's the truth, they will probably add a couple comments to, to your, to their response. And they'll be like, Hey, submit to us next time. Yeah. Um, but take that seriously when you hear that. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't submit the exact same thing. If you do submit the same thing, though, make sure you edit it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Such awesome advice, Alex. I'm glad that we had this conversation because I think it's really revealing for anybody that's out there that will submit to any sort of any, you know, publications um, that 
there's a lot behind the scenes that us authors may not be aware of. I was fortunate enough that when I was in high school, I did a lot. I was on the journalism editing yearbook and newspaper and actually ran the newspaper in my high school for two years. Loved it. Absolutely loved all of it. Actually thought I was going to go into journalism. Took a side note, but here I am doing podcasts. So I feel like I finally fulfilled that. (laughs) But yeah, there's so much involved in an editing process that, that it would be smart for authors to remember that a rejection might not be because the work is so terrible, but it could be just timing. Yeah, and one thing I like to to point out is take that rejection with a grain of salt. You know, if if you didn't feel super jazzed about that place and they reject you, then maybe you don't need to edit your your work. Mm-hmm. And then try submitting it a couple places. If you keep getting no's and they're from places you really like and you feel like it would be a great place for your work, then maybe take another look at your work and see, you know, what might they be seeing that isn't right for them. Okay. I have two questions jumping off of this. So see, this is how it happens. I start hearing things and things come up. So my first question is, um, how do you feel about like for yourself or the idea of, um, authors using higher editors for hire before they submit? Um, cause I think it's valuable, especially if you're doing independent publishing, you should have a professional editor read your work before you submit it to the world. But how do you feel? What do you think about it? Um, I think it's a great tool, especially if you're really stuck and you don't have anybody close to you that that can provide advice. I know um, it's handy to have a friend or a family member read something, but they're not going to necessarily know what to do mm-hmm. to, to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're really stuck and you just keep, you just can't get through to that next, wh- whatever that next acceptance or that, or, or you just feel like there's something wrong, but you just have no clue where to start. Um, I think paying somebody um, can be really helpful, but I think it goes along the same lines as paying to submit to a contest. Mm-hmm. You have to really believe in that person or that place mm-hmm. and willing to give your money to them. Yeah, exactly. A lot of times a professional editor is going to cost a big buck. Mm-hmm. That's what I've, I've heard. <laughs> not like, like $20,000, but like... Yeah you know, $275 is something I've seen pretty commonly. Yeah. And, and it's like based on like how much they're going to read and things like that. And I always wonder, I haven't used a, an editor yet because I'm still on the fence for me. If I'm going to try to do the traditional route or go self public publishing, that's what this whole podcast was Genesis from was my searching this idea of which one. Um, but I've heard a tremendous amount of stories and did some research on how much the editors can cost. And in my mind, I wonder if, you know what you you get what you pay for kind of a thing but you you never know until you get started with somebody how good they're going to be or how helpful they're going to be <laughs> yeah i think that's when you need to do research or you need to have heard about them from somebody you really know yeah um, and that's where twitter can be helpful you know if if you see them coming up in in the people that you're following up and and they're having twitter conversations or they're being tagged a lot um then maybe just keep an eye out for them um or if there's like a press that you really like and they're, they have their editors and sometimes like, I know, um, I think it's, uh, to Sylvia's press there. I think they're a Washington state press. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They, in their newsletters will, will post stuff like, Oh, we have a couple of our editors doing, um, doing consultations or we have a couple of guest consultate consultors coming in. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So you just really need to, you know, do research and also, um, trust the person. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a hard for me. I'm learning how to trust with my work. <laughs> that's a whole new step for me. So, so that kind of jumps on to the second part of the question that came up. While I was listening to you talk was support groups and associations. Um, I'm pretty sure for you because you did your undergrad work in. Um, in literature, you're very comfortable with getting involved with people, reading your work, you guys working together, work groups, things like that. Um, but do you, since you've graduated, are you part of anything like that in your area or community? And if so, um, how have they benefited you? Or is, is it a benefit? Yeah, so um, right after I graduated, I, I moved uh, 250 or 300 miles south back, to, back home mm-hmm. from everybody I graduated with, all of my uh, peers that I studied with, and a lot of them stayed up near the, the school or already living there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sort of, I felt like it was in a literature desert. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but then I kept an eye out. I was like, you know, desperate to find something and I didn't really have any connections down here. Um, so I was like on Facebook looking for different writing events or groups. I was... Um, I even checked Craigslist. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, recommend that always, but it, you know, <laughs> it could be scary. <laughs> it could be scary, but you know, if if you are desperate when, or if you know, you just really need to find something and it's just not close or it's not coming up, mm-hmm. uh, that or or Google. Um, and I found a an open mic night that happens monthly mm-hmm. in uh, the in the city that is near me, not the small city, small, small little town I live in, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a poetry open mic night. They, they let people do other stuff too, but it started off. I just went and I was like, I had already had some experience with um, performing. So I, I, even the first time I went, I performed and I just, I spent a lot of time listening because mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody. I, I'm not great in, in a social setting. Mm-hmm. Many of us authors are not. We're true universe, right? <laughs> But what I've learned through therapy is that you don't have to be great at it. You have to be you at it. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a good thought. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't need to have a conversation with everybody you're sitting next to. Mm-hmm. You can wait mm-hmm. for somebody to come up to you. And if they don't, don't take it, don't, you know, take it out on yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, that's my therapy side note. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it because it's something I struggle with. Everybody thinks I'm this major extrovert. And I'm like, really? I'm an introvert with extrovert tendencies so I can survive. Introverts <laughs> are really good at faking it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I, I just, I, I spent a lot of time. I went every month that I could. Um, I, I learned also that uh, the person who put it on, Christopher Luna, he was the, uh, the county's poet laureate. He had been doing it for a number of years. Oh, he's been the poet laureate there uh, for more than the regular term for a poet laureate, because yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me because I kind of think I know which area you're, you're living in and what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I live very close to Portland, but it's mm-hmm. across a river, so yep, I know where you're at. <laughs> I'm there too. <laughs> but um, he offers uh, monthly or bi-monthly uh, classes that are he that you pay with a donation for. So mm-hmm. I was able to, with no money, be able to continue studying as a poet past school with him. Oh, that's so fantastic. What a great service he does. That's and amazing. He does those, and he also does you know, the open mics. He also does, um, he teaches at the local community college. 
Mm-hmm. So he was an excellent resource for me to just continue working. Uh, he basically his workshop was we're there for two and a half, three hours. We write four or five things. We quickly give a little feedback on one of them, and you're out. So that mm-hmm. had writing at least four or five things every month. Nice. Is that still going by chance? Because it's probably something we should put in show notes for anybody in that local area that's listening or close. Of course. So um, his name is Christopher Luna. Okay, I'm writing it down. (laughs) I think uh, he has a Facebook group called, uh, I don't know if he's the head of it, but Pacific Northwest Poets or Writers, something like that. Okay, I'll look for it. (laughs) Um, And so he does the... um, the uh, open mic is called Ghost Town Poetry. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> second Thursday of every month uh, in downtown Vancouver, Washington. Okay. And then he does the, uh, the poetry workshop uh, on, I think it's the, the second Saturday of the month and mm-hmm. then also on the last Monday of the month. Very cool. Well, well, listeners, I'll put this together. So if you are in the Southwest Washington or even the Portland area, um, or we'll, we'll get the in show notes so you can find out what Alex is talking about. Cause there might be other people like you or like me, cause I'm up North from you just a bit. Um, yeah. and, um, finding a community for me was probably the most challenging in the sense that I felt like there wasn't community, so I wasn't looking for it. And then the minute I opened myself up to it and I stepped out and became fearless and started to just ask people that I thought were authors or put it out there, then the community built around me. It was astonishing. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, you don't have to feel the pressure. Like, I I, I did read a, a poem or two that first time I went, but you, you, can, you don't have to perform if you don't want to. You can sing, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. can... Uh, observe you can listen you can you can you can make some friends you don't have to you know again don't pressure yourself to be best yeah. friends with everybody yeah exactly um but if you make some connections they will encourage you i guarantee it to, yeah. to slowly work your way out of your shell and perform it can yeah. be especially if you've never done it it can be so nerve-wracking to get mm. up there but every mm. person i've seen that has been like shaking <laughs> and hopping over every word and stumbling and being so, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Once they figure out that they've done it once, then you can't stop. And, and here's the thing. I'm grinning so big. I wish everybody can see me because um, the way you're talking about authors reading as performance, it's a piece that I found over and over again, when I watch other authors read um, that, I I had a lot of acting classes and we were taught, you know, about performance and going under the mask and and developing yourself, getting ready. So I'm really comfortable with standing up in front of people and reading or doing presentations, but I watch a lot of authors that aren't. And I think it's because they don't realize that there's some skill and practice that goes into reading your work live in front of people. (laughs) Well, there's definitely practice. Like, and you mentioned this in, in the notes you sent me beforehand. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. It's, it's great advice for anyone anywhere going to read something in front of people. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, oh, go ahead. The tough thing about poetry um, is there's sort of a stigma um, for poets that sound like they've practiced a lot mm-hmm. or that sound have that sort of, they call it quote unquote poet voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of like backlash against people that sound too, I don't know, too poety. It, Polished. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so mixed up and complicated. I don't think anyone really knows what's happening. But, 
um, you have to sort of find whatever gets you up there reading and sounding like yourself mm-hmm. because you don't want to sound like somebody else. You, you know, if you're sort of that nervous kind of quiet person, you know, still try to push yourself to be loud and commanding as, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. If you find some, I, I know there's some poets. Uh, I was thinking of the, when I was just there last week um, at, at ghost town, they are so commanding and you have to lean in to listen to them, even on a microphone. And I'm just like, I wish I could do that. So I don't have to project. So much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But that's who they are, you know, exactly. and they grab your attention because you know, that's who they are. So mm-hmm. awesome. Awesome advice. I love it. Um, so Alex, um, you also mentioned to me before we started recording and I kind of want to touch base on this a little bit. You talked about being in a workshop where you actually did some teaching. So is that something that you do often? Is it um, with working in workshops and helping other people with writing poetry? So I, I tried my hand at being a substitute teacher. I wasn't great at it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just an emergency sub, so I didn't have a, a certificate or anything. Mm-hmm. No one would a body, basically. Um, and I wasn't super great at it. But what I do love is specifically talking about poetry with students. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am part of, again, with Christopher Luna um, and some other local poets. We do uh, have a program called Poets in the Schools. Oh, it's there, wonderful. Where they send a couple of us into, I mean, we, we actually go out. They don't send us. Um, <laughs> we choose where we go and we find a teacher that's looking for somebody to, to do a little, a little workshop with some poems, either, mm-hmm. you know, in line with the curriculum or, or sort of in addition to it. Um, and we just do whatever we can to get them excited and, and give them a little something uh, interesting. Uh, so I know that when I, w- I went in, I think it was April, I went into a fifth grade classroom and I just spent an hour. Uh, I gave a little bit of a, a sort of teeny tiny 10 minute lecture about <laughs> a single poetry concept. Well, that's all they could handle anyways. <laughs> well, I gave them a big one. I gave them a big fancy poetry word. Um, <laughs> and then I gave them a couple ideas for what they could write about. And then with, thank goodness, with the help of their, their teacher, we uh, got some really great poems out of them. Oh, that's so cool. I love that project. And I'm so excited that you're involved in that because I feel like kids in particular at those young informal ages, especially now with society being so online and video driven and that kind of thing, that the arts and the actual spoken word and written word uh, in the arts can be challenging for them to see people that can be role models for them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's awesome. Good job. I love it. So, <laughs> and I think my goal is to break down the stigma that poetry has um, mm-hmm. that it's unattainable or um, you can't access it unless you're like this scholar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, my, my sort of spiel that I give anybody I meet that I and poetry comes up, I always tell them it's not what the writer is telling you. You don't have to unlock whatever their secret is. You need to find something in that poem that means something to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's no point in reading it for somebody else mm-hmm. fantastic well you just set the stage for us to listen to your poetry but before I do that I want to ask you one more question because it's a question that I love to ask authors what's your inspiration what's what keeps you going I love I, I you gave me a little prep on some of these questions <laughs> you're, you're exposed now yes 
So, That's okay. <laughs> I love this question because it lets me talk about all the nerdy things that I love. Oh, I love nerdy stuff. <laughs> so I'm obsessed um, with uh, sea life, specifically weird little creatures in the sea. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. best friend and her dad are marine biologists, basically. And I just love talking about all the new discoveries. Like a couple weeks ago, I learned about upside down jellyfish. How cool is that? Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm obsessed with that. I'm also really into plants. I think a lot of poets are. We mm-hmm. talk about trees and flowers a lot. Mm-hmm. About one thing that really interests me, um, especially because a lot of my work deals with gender and sexuality, is that a lot of different plants. I mean, we a lot of us know that uh, a flower has male and mm-hmm. parts, but each different plant has different, different. Like uh, it's just so weird. Like. <laughs> Let's say take a rose. The, the the male and female parts of the rose are completely different than like the male and female parts of a tulip. Okay. Yeah, it's just bonkers. It's bonkers, <laughs> but it's awesome. So, so nature and flowers and plants and the sea life inspire you. Yeah, science, nature, Fire. animals, mm-hmm. space. I mean, basically, I'm, I just love learning an interesting fact that I can tell somebody and then write a poem about. <laughs> I love it. I, I think that's fantastic. My, I love nature to death and plants and all that kind of thing too. And very big into sea life. I, I real reveal that I believe I'm a mermaid, lock, landlocked mermaid. Um, and I was supposed to be living in water my whole life because <laughs> I love the ocean to death. Um, so I totally get all that. Um, but I haven't written any poetry about it. So maybe that's my new future. Well, start with what your favorite sea animal is. I had the most amazing experience. My husband and I got to do our 25th wedding anniversary in Maui um, in February, and I got to see the whales migration there. And just like I, they they're so beyond magical. Oh my gosh! They're like ghosts and like aliens at the same time. They're so cool. Yeah, they're astonishing. And what was really cool, because we've been to Maui a lot, but this was our first time there during the whale migration. I did not expect that as we're on land, driving driving, or just on the, the beaches, you could see the whales reaching out in the bay. Oh, and so I was cool. like, it was astonishing. It was, it was a dream come true for me. <laughs> It sounds like you're ready to write a poem about it. I am. Uh, it's right there. So so enough about me. Let's get you started for our listeners because everybody loves to hear our authors read. So um, set the stage for your reading for us. Poetry is a little bit different, so you can set the stage how you want. And then I'm going to go quiet while you read. Sure. So um, I've got a couple poems that I'm going to read from my book, The Myth of Man. And then I have, I think it's three that are sort of on the newer end that have been written since the book has come out. Um, The book stuff, the book deals a lot with uh, masculinity and sexuality and like the faults and the fallacies and all that. Um, But I'm going to read some of the stuff from that. And then I'll, I think I'll might give a little bit of a, an introduction to some of the poems as well. Uh, That's another thing that readers usually do, especially at a reading. If, if a poem needs a little bit of explanation, um, it doesn't hurt to give it. Uh, it's just, you know, a little more insight to the author's mind. Sounds awesome. Well, go for it. All right. So this is Pando I Spread. Words are carved into the trunk of a painting by Gustav Klimt. 
Names left by lonesome boys with pocket knives. Sentences about suckering clonal colonies of populous tremuloides. Punctuation written by sisters striking at the bark with garden hose. Once gaping exclamations, they're now sealed into shriveled periods by sap and concentric rings. The words like insecure brushstrokes are weary of permanence but afraid to be erased by a fresh coat of paint. The fearless ones are ground up, wood pulp, spoken by grandmothers who spit hatchets into the cellulose and gold leaf assemblage of the tree of life. It's clear cut by mothers who coddle branches with pruning sheer fingers, hoping to cut the poplar hangnails growing out of knots and trim away the burdens of 80,000 years of words. A forest of one individual, older and heavier than any living organism and still at the mercy of tempered steel words. Trembling giant, tangled up in its own roots, quaking like a river overflowing with tributaries, shaking aspen fingers trying to grasp onto a cradle of loose oil paint and soil, while scars appear like names on his bark. The next poem, if I can find it, <laughs> is called Fireworked Light. In a dream, the first friend I ever made appears as a lover, a partner, with hands like whole seashells, common cockle-clasped palms, serastoderma adule fingers siphon a meal into my belly. A tradition of trust. If we share, we are both safe from poison, both subjected to it. We throw stones at our insecure selves, pummeling our ugly pelts with flat rocks meant to skip off. He holds me while I'm sick, a paralytic embrace, wipes my firework-flushed face. He works the lights into clay and builds us something beautiful. I wake before I find out what. The word dear comes from my lungs. I'm an old fabulous light catcher, calling my lovers an archaic endearment. Even endearment contains the word. To make like a deer, cute and soft and quiet and careful and easy to scare away. Did I scare you away? Dear Iceland, do you miss your beloved ash? Do you long for expelled hot dry matter? Or are you angry at it for melting your shores? We are bedfellows, Iceland. We have both been abandoned by our constituent parts. Maybe it would be too much to ask to stay, like pressing rotten fruit in your palm on the palm of your hand or tearing pages out of a beloved book and using them to build a paper mache cast for a broken bone. There is no place for deer now. This one's titled, I was never the tree in a school play, but I have mastered the part. I was never the tree in a school play, but I've mastered the part in the, way I, in the way I am the shelter to the clamshell hands of a passer raccoon. Trunk sanctuary, striped peeling mirror to the paper bandit mask pulled off, regrowing with the seasons. I spread arms and fingers to hold on to people, to share seeds of self and become understood. But waxed leaves slip and autumn dead falls. I long for you, sweet child, running across the cul-de-sac or through the copse to swing by and tear a parchment from me. 
I want you to reveal pulp muscle and trustfully repurpose old dried things. Write the neighbor boy a messy sonnet with sap smeared ink. Kiss him behind your closed eyes. I'll stand on the soil, searching the crowd for truant parents, repeating the words over and over in my head, rowing on silent, rehearsed lips. So those are the poems I chose to read from my book, The Myth of Man. Oh, they're fantastic. I loved them. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then I think, I, let's see, I've got three more that are the newer ones. So another sort of inspiration that I have, uh, and I think a lot of people do, we're kind of all obsessed with magic and, and how it can be um, reparative to ourselves and others and also how it can be dark and terrifying. So this is uh, a poem called Speech Spell, after the drawing of the same, same title by John Carlyle. You gift the wolf speech. The wolf has a lot to say. You listen for a while, but the wolf lacks social cues. You can't get a word in. The wolf is so excited. The wolf never wants to stop speaking. You listen in and out of waning and waxing. The wolf runs for president. The wolf wins. The wolf chooses you as press secretary. You are paid to spread the wolf's words. On your first day, you approach the podium. Flashing lights and backfed mics overload your senses. You open your mouth to read your prepared statement. Your tongue waves familiar, your lips sphinct, but no speech comes forth. This is a poem called Hypertension and Panic, The Well of a Witch's Power. Before you earned your title, you were laying on the floor of your first apartment, stomach roiling wave, distended, ripping itself as far away from you as it can. Before you forgave yourself for slipping, sipping neon sap salve, you pursed up to plastic bottle edge and tongue to the carbonated nectar until dry flowers crumbled, then lifted bloated body to the next. When you were still a student, you gulped air-filled liquid with silly names, soda, salted earth, pop, soft knee cartilage locomotion, a ritual that only ends in death. You called your best friend to the bed at the solstice climax. It's not for warmth or pleasure, but to stop your body from fizzing, shaking itself apart. Panic attacks don't feel like heart attacks to you. They're a shaken 12 ounce can, 20 ounce bottle, two liter chasm of Mountain Dew, Cherry Pepsi, or some bright orange star threatening to explode. And this is my last poem. So it has a kind of a, a lot of inspirations to it. Um, it's in response to a drawing uh, by Louise Bourgeois called Saint Sebastian Study Number Eight, and it's also uh, an experience I had at my therapist's office. This is instructions for those who have learned not to cry. There is an arrow at my throat, a projectile screaming, "Boys don't cry." But both the boy and the arrow are myths, fabrications conjured to control and to shut. The slow decapitation of a ringing volley can be stopped before the head is lost. There is a gate in your throat, 
tensed knot, gnarled burl. It can be opened as effortlessly as casting dandelion seeds aloft with a breath. I said, I don't cry. What I meant was, I have forgotten how. Trees will grow around foreign objects, integrating them into their bodies. Arrows are e easily swallowed. I don't know how to pull the shafts from your ankles, your belly, your breast. But you can cry again if you realize you're tensing your throat and fighting the urge to breathe through it. Absolutely brilliant, Bravo, Alex. <laughs> I'm stunned. I am excited that you shared those, and I really feel like I'm um, be able to watch you because I think you're going to be one of those poets out there that are going to make a difference. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So beautiful. So, so listeners, I hope you enjoyed um, Alex's poetry as well. Find him on his um, website, social media, and um, connect with him. So thank you for being here, and we'll have you back when you write some more. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was, uh, I just love talking about the ins and outs that people don't really talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will continue the conversation. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hoped you loved hearing from the author as much as we did. If you did enjoy the author, make sure you find them on social media, buy their book and write a review. Are you a published author and would like to be featured on the podcast? Visit us at our website to learn more. You can help support the production of this podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Share the podcast with your friends. And most importantly, become a supporter. Supporters receive monthly bonus podcasts and a newsletter filled with tips from our authors. To find out more how to become a supporter, visit our website. And finally, I hope you always remember to enjoy the journey. Until next week, this is Vicki J. Carter saying goodbye.